You can be seated. Well, have you ever heard of the expression of no redeeming value? Of no redeeming value. I mean, surely someone's saying, yes, but I'd rather not talk about what my mother-in-law feels about me right now. The expression of no redeeming value, it means that there's nothing in that experience or that activity which offsets or compensates for all the defects that are present. So back in the days of my life as a single youth minister, I sometimes found myself with quite a bit of disposable time on my hands. You know, I think about that time and I never had disposable income. But I sure had a lot of disposable time. And, um, you know, I was alone in my apartment, and sometimes, uh, you know, it just would be hard-pressed to fill the time because, right, you can only read the Bible so many times a day, right? And so there I was uh, one Saturday morning, and I was deep in thought about the Costco supersized two-box, two-pack box of Lucky Charms, which indeed are magically delicious. And I sat there staring at this. Did I mention I had a lot of time on my hands? And I sat there staring at this box, and I wondered about the ratio of marshmallows to toasted oat cereal. Now, I should pause here and say that sometimes I run my stories and attempts at humor by Beth for her opinion. But all that has taught me is not to run my stories by her. That's, that's the lesson I've learned there, right? Because, you know, I'll ask her opinion on something and she'll say something like, well, there's a high degree of possibility of offending someone with that particular insight, right? <clears throat> or she'll say something like, you are aware that the essential nature of humor is to be humorous, <laughs> right? So she's very helpful in, in these regards. Now, had I run this story by her, She would have said something like, it's going to make you look like a cotton-headed ninny-muggin. Well, since I didn't run this story by her, we continue with the unapproved story in progress. On this particular Saturday morning, I was sitting there looking at the two-pack of Costco supersized industrial drink Lucky Charms, which indeed are magically delicious, and I wondered about the ratio between marshmallows and toasted oat cereal, so I... No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I dumped both packs of cereal on the table, and I started sorting them from the toasted oat cereal to the marshmallows. I see you shaking your head at me. When the sorting was completed, and I surveyed the yield of my harvest, the fruit of my labor, the product of my disposable time, I thought to myself, What an absolute waste of time. (laughs) I'm sitting there looking at it going, and then I said to myself, self, you may have a problem. Now, having completed the action and activities of a cotton-headed ninny-muggin, you know what I did next? I was so disgusted at the waste of time, I just put it all right back in the box. Just in one fell swoop. Now, this fruitless pursuit of mine, this pointless waste of time, can certainly be described as an activity or an experience with no redeeming value. 
Unless, of course, you consider it as good material for sermon fodder, and then I guess it has some redeeming value. But what of those experiences in our life? What about those endeavors, those activities that we look at and we say, yeah, there's redeeming value here? I mean, how do we decide what has redeeming value and what doesn't? Now, it gets even more complicated because we're talking about, you know, the negatives versus the positives. It gets more complicated when we start talking about people in that way, whether or not people have redeeming value. And, and I guess in some way, it, 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 we're looking for a redeeming quality in someone. Now, we're in a series from the book of Titus, and we're looking at two sections in Titus which represent the core of Christianity. We're exploring from these two sections the work of grace in our life, and today we're going to look closer at the doctrine of redemption, of redemption. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read from the first section this morning, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, which says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your Word this morning, we're so grateful first and foremost that you are present, that you are with us. And so we pray that now uh, through your Holy Spirit who is our teacher and through Jesus who is our Savior that you speak truth through our heart. We pray, amen. Now, as we did last week, we're going to look a little bit closer at verse 14. And in this verse 14, what we're seeing is talking about Jesus Christ. And it's telling us a very important thing, especially if you look at that first clause of verse 14. About Jesus Christ, it says, "...who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness." Now, verse 14, uh, it overflows with not just theological richness... Uh, but it's, it's so great, it's so deep as it focuses on this theme of salvation and this theme of redemption. And, and like the theme of salvation, the doctrine of salvation that we looked at the last couple of weeks, this idea of redemption, this doctrine of redemption, I mean, it could be a, a series within a series within a series within a series. Now, think about the way that we use the words redemption or the words redeem in our language today, in our, in our speech. So, for example, when a, a sports team, a, a sports figure, when they, when they lose a match, they lose a game, they lose a series, and, and they have the opportunity to come back the next year, we call that a shot at redemption. They get to come back and do it over again. Uh, when a speller misses a word at the Scripps National Spelling Bee Finals and they still have some spelling eligibility left, they say, I'm coming back next year so that I can R-E-D-E-E-M myself. Redemption. An opportunity to do it over again and to have a different outcome than what was expected. So, in our everyday language, we use these words, redemption, we use redeem. We use that to suggest it's an opportunity to make up for something that went wrong or something that didn't go the way we wanted 
to or intended. A man walks down the street and he says, why am I so soft in the middle? Why am I so soft in the middle when the rest of my life is so hard? I need a photo opportunity. I need a shot at redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Now think about the way that we use the word redemption in songs. I mean, even when we talk about redemption songs, how many of you are thinking of Bob Marley right now? Okay, keep your hands up so the elders can see who you are. Come have a special talk with you. Now, the rest of you are thinking, well, who is Bob Marley? Right? And I just know someone's leaning over and saying, it's the person from the Scrooge movie, honey. The redemption songs is an idea. Think about the songs that we sing. I've been redeemed. Remember that old song? I've been redeemed, right? You know, that's a great song. How about redeemed how I love to proclaim it? Remember that one? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. How about how I love the great redeemer? That's got a really good moving and bouncing chorus there. And then the slightly newer but still an old song by today's standards, there is a redeemer. Now, what are we singing about when we focus on redemption songs? What's the idea that's being conveyed there when we're singing those songs? For one, it's the desperate, painful reality of our present condition. These songs are acknowledging what's happening right now is not what I want, not what I expect, and I need to be redeemed from this. We're singing about the hope. We're singing about the premise and the reality of redemption. Ultimately, we're singing about Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who is the one who redeems. By the way, Psalm 130, which I asked Anne to read this morning, is an example of such a song. It's a hope-filled song of redemption. When all is going wrong, when all is not what the person expected, and yet they're putting their hope, they're placing their hope, they're looking forward to something they cannot see, and that's redemption. So that's how we use redemption and the word redeemed in our everyday language. That's how we use it in our songs that we sing. Now let's talk about how this word is used, this concept is used in the Scripture. When you look at the concept of redemption, when you see the word redeem and you see it throughout the Bible, it's going to be used in two ways. The first way this word is used is to describe, um, and, and this is why it's certainly one of the great themes of redemption, the first way that it's used is to describe the price or the cost of what it took to redeem. That's the first way that you see that. Now, the second way that you see this word is it talks about the actual act or the action of redemption. So, for example, when you read in the Old Testament that the people of God were delivered from captivity, they were in bondage to the Egyptians, when you see that they were delivered, that's that same word. It's the action of being rescued from that. When you see these great movements in the Old Testament, especially what the writer of Psalm 130 was expecting, to be rescued from peril, to be delivered from danger, that activity of redemption is the action of doing that. And so in the same way that the people of God, the children of Israel, were delivered from Egypt, Jesus Christ is the one who delivers us from the bondage of sin. Those two ideas are supposed to go together. 
that you're held captive in a situation, that you're oppressed in this situation, that you're held down. And it's not just talking about the price that was paid, though that is part of redemption. It's talking about the physical action of removing you from that situation. In the same way that we read these Old Testament stories of God coming in and rescuing His people from peril, in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from the peril of this situation. So, we encounter redemption in the Scriptures as the mighty work of God to change our situation, to move us from one place to another. So, when you hear the word redeem in the Bible, you have to keep those two ideas. Not just the cost or the price of redemption, but the physical action and spiritual action of rescuing someone from a situation. Now, when we look at Titus 2.14, the Scripture that we're looking at this morning, both uses or both instances of that word are here. Gary, do you have verse 14 just to pull up again? If you look at the first part of verse 14, that's talking about the cost or the price of redemption. Who gave himself for us? That's talking about what Jesus had to pay, the great cost that he paid for us. So when we talk about or sing about the death of Jesus on the cross to free us from sin, we're talking about the cost or the price of redemption. But that second part, to redeem us from all lawlessness, it's talking about the physical action of what has happened there, the act. And so when we talk about or sing about redeem, being set free from sin, we're talking about that change, being rescued or delivered from one situation to another. Now, how do we process these ideas? So in verse 14, that first idea, cost, first of all, the price what this indicates is that, that to redeem someone, that redemption is costly. There's a price to pay. And because it's Jesus who gave himself for us, it indicates something that's precious, something that's valuable. So, for example, consider this Chick-fil-A card I have in my hand right now, <clears throat> okay? A card like this is precious. My precious. Wait, did I say that out loud? A card like this that I hold in my hand is precious. A card like this Chick-fil-A card is valuable. You know why? Because you can take this card, a card like this, you can take it to the Chick-fil-A on Glenstone and you could hand it to them and they're going to give you an entree. It has some redeeming value to it. So a card like this, it's precious. A card like this is valuable, but there's a problem with this card. The problem is, it has an expiration date. And because this card has an expiration date, and that date has already passed, it no longer has any redeeming value. It's worthless. The problem with this as redemption value is you can lose it, you can forget that you've had it in the drawer, and then you can go to it thinking, I think I'll go to Chick-fil-A today, and you look at it and you go, oh man, it's expired. It's no good, of no redeeming value. Now, I bring that up because when the Bible talks about the cost that was paid for us, Jesus, who gave himself for us, 
The Bible is trying to communicate to us that the price Jesus paid for us was a costly price. It was a priceless price. It was a great price. You were not redeemed by perishable things, Peter tells us, like silver or gold. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. This preciousness of His life given for us talks about the great cost, but it talks about so much more, right? It talks about how much redeeming value we have. That if Jesus is willing to give himself, if he is willing to exchange his life for us, don't you see how much value that gives you? Don't you see how wonderful you are, how lovely you are in the eyes of our God? Don't you see how much he delights in you, how much you are his beloved, because Jesus is willing to give himself in exchange or substitute for you. So that's the first part of this idea of redemption is the cost, the price. Now the second aspect of redemption that's actually found in the word redeem, this is really interesting because I'm willing to bet that most of us don't think of redeem this way. Now, when Titus uses, when Paul uses this word redeem, he's talking about who gave himself for us, that's the price, but to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's the action of redemption. The word literally means ransom, ransom, to set free due to ransom. Now, that's not a word that we would intuitively understand when it comes to this. And the problem is that when we hear the word ransom, we don't hear it in a positive way, do we? I mean, so any example I could give you here is like a heavy example, right? Because anytime you think of ransom, you think of hostage. Anytime you think of ransom, you think of kidnapper, right? I mean, in the digital world, there's even a type of malicious software that gets installed on your computer, and they're blocking access to your computer until you pay them money. Do you know what it's called? Ransomware. Ransomware. Now, so what, what is being communicated to us here by the use of this word, ransom? Literally, to set free by the payment of ransom. So again, in the same way that the Egyptian people have the people of God in slavery and they are released, in the same way that God rescues people from peril, we are set free from, we are ransomed from the slavery of sin. Here's the big idea. We often fail to grasp the way in which sin binds us to sin. That's lost on us a lot today. The way in which sin keeps us captive to sin. Now, think about the the Dennis Jernigan songs that we sometimes sing. I belong to Jesus free from sin. See, it's setting up a, you know, those two things have to complement each other. Since I belong to Jesus, I'm free from sin. I'm free from sin, therefore I belong to Jesus. Or, I will praise you for all that you have done for me. I will praise you, and this is where it gets really interesting, for redeeming and setting me free. It's almost like a word play that's going on there because redemption is setting us free from the power of sin. Now, because of sin... 
the things that we do against God, your translations are going to use lawlessness or iniquity or, or sin because of those things, which really is, is our rebellion against God. It's, it's our pursuit of our own self-will, which is always opposed to God. We are spiritually, but often physically, captives to sin. Uh, this is why the Bible describes and what it means when it says the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God, right, through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is why it talks about that. So the work of redemption is the action of releasing us or freeing us from that which is destroying us. Now, it's important to understand and notice that in verse 14, when Paul is telling Timothy about the work of redemption, that Jesus is not redeeming lawlessness. Jesus is not redeeming lawlessness. He's redeeming us from all lawlessness. Jesus is not redeeming law-breaking. He's not saying, ah, it's okay, go ahead, it doesn't matter. Grace says you can do whatever you want. That's not what it's saying. It's not redeeming law-breaking, it's redeeming law-breakers. Jesus is not redeeming sin, He is redeeming sinners. Now, there's more than a semantic difference here. There's more than a semantic difference at work here. Because the work of Jesus, the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross for us is to set us free from those things that are keeping us from being His holy completely. Now, the Bible is a unified story of all that has gone wrong in this world and all that God is doing through Jesus Christ to make all things right. That's the great story of redemption. What God has done and is doing even right now, this moment through Jesus Christ, to make all things right is the most compelling redemptive story ever told. This redemption story is greater than any sports story. This redemption story is greater than any spelling story. As far as Jesus is concerned, you are valuable and you are precious. And He withholds nothing to give Himself for you that you might be rescued from the damage that sin is doing to you. He was willing to give Himself to redeem you because He sees in you great value. We receive this by faith in the work of Jesus on our behalf. When we respond to Jesus by faith in what Jesus has done for us, we become part of this great redemption story. By faith, when we trust in His redemptive work, which paid the price for our sins, we are set free to no longer live for worldly desires, but to live for Him. So, we anchor our hope and we rejoice in the freedom that we are no longer captive to sin we set our hope, we anchor our trust, we rejoice that our new life has been redeemed to live for Him and to pursue His heart, to pursue His beauty, to pursue His greatness. Jesus Christ, oh man, our Savior who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Sing the sweet story, redemption's sweet song. Over and over the chorus 
prolonged. Shout the glad message and join in the song. Ever will sing praise to the King, singing redemption's wonderful song. Let's pray. Father, it just seems...